We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. May for Mature. So I know sometimes we have children in here. As a parent, you might want to take them to children's church or you say, you know what? I'm wanting to hear whatever the pastor is going to talk about today. But um, this message, I'm barely old enough to listen to it. <laughs> My daughter watched a movie one time and she said, it's a good movie, Dad. I said, oh, I'd like to go watch it. She goes, you're not old enough. So I'm barely old enough to hear this message today. So if you have some kids, you might want to take them to children's church or whatever, or just say, hey, they, they know enough. All right. They're talking about getting fired up. We talked about the prophet Elijah, right? On the Mount Carmel and the fire came down and licked up all the water and all the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place. But uh, whoever is God, let him answer with fire. We talked about the three Hebrew children and they would not bow. They had been playing of pain. And so they were thrown into the hot fire and the, and the king Nab looked over and said, hey, there's a fourth man who looks like the son of God. So sometimes in life we go through the fire, don't we? God does not always promise to keep us out of fire, but sometimes our convictions cause conflict. Well, today I want to talk about getting fired up and defining decisions. Defining decisions. All of us have defining decisions in life. Some of them may be spiritual. What God are you going to serve? Which way are you going in your spiritual life? This morning you chose to get up and come to church. That's a big defining moment decision. Another decision is who will you marry? What spouse is going to be in your life? What spouse is in your house is very important, right? So you've got to make that decision. Other decisions are your career. How, what job am I going to have? And all these decisions become defining moments in your life because these defining decisions will determine your direction. Uh, when I became a minister, it determined a different direction in my life. It also did it for my spouse. She did not marry a preacher. No. And I talked about living in the fishbowl of a, being a pastor, and you have fishbowl moments where everybody's looking at you and micromanaging and micro-deciding about you and your life, defining moments. Well, today, I want to talk about another defining moment. Uh, there's these two main characters. Uh, one of them is named Abraham. One of them is named Lot. Now Lot's father has died, and so his uncle is Abraham. So Abraham decides, I'm going to mentor my nephew Lot. And so he takes him under his wing. He begins to mentor him. And Abraham is a phenomenal businessman. He is making millions of dollars in his business. And so he trains up Lot of how to be a successful businessman. And Lot learns very well. It, so well that uh, the land that they are on together cannot support them. They realize that in order for the land to support us, we're going to have to split up the business, make it sort of one big business, two conglomerates, and go in different directions. And so now we have a decision to be made. You see, Abraham was the senior person, the senior business partner, and he could have very well said, I get first choice. But he deferred his choice to Lot because Abraham understood it's not worth the fight in your family. 
Have you ever made a decision to keep something from happening in your family? To not have a fight? I've made decisions like that. It's easier just to say, you know, you can have it rather than to fight over it. I've seen families fight over salt and pepper shakers after somebody's gone. I've seen them get into these big arguments, and man, it gets ugly. And so Abraham's like, I don't want a family disagreement. I don't want to, I'm going to let Lot make the first choice. And so the choices are this. In one direction you look, and there's the land of Canaan. You turn around, look in the opposite direction, and now you have the plain of Jordan. And the Bible describes it. It was well watered. It was green. It had streams running through it. It looked like the Garden of Eden. And so Lot, I am going, okay, Uncle Abe, I'm going to the plain of Jordan. All right? Abraham says, I'll go over here to Canaan. And so Lot takes all of his cattle, all of his sheep, all of his belongings, everything he has, all of the slaves, all of the servants, everybody, and they go in the plain of Jordan because that's what Lot saw, the beautiful green pastures. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to take my business and grow it even more. Abraham went to Canaan. Genesis chapter 13, verse 11 says this. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. I want you to understand the process today because when Lot made this decision, all he saw was the plain. All he was looking at was the green grass and all he was looking at was how wonderful this will be to grow my company. Verse number 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Wait a minute. I thought all he saw was the plain. Well, he did. That was all he saw until he got down to the plain. And then he decides, you know what? This is a beautiful area. We're going to set up uh, living here. But I want to pitch my tent toward Sodom. He pitched his tent near Sodom. I'm sure it was a beautiful, beautiful scenery. How many of you like looking at the cityscapes at night when all the lights come on and all the big buildings? You go into Oklahoma City or the New York or whatever, and at night it's just lit up beautifully. I am sure Lot and his wife goes, if we, we can just sit out on the front porch at night and look at the city lights. It's going to be, be Let's just uh, pitch our tents in this direction instead of in the west. Let's, let's just go with this one, okay? And so Lot hey, that's how I mean. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just looking at the plane and it's all good. He put his tents toward the power of proximity. I want you to hear this today. The power of proximity. You see, at first all he saw was the plane and then all of a sudden he sees the cities at night and they start pitching their tents toward but then he also gets near. Proximity. Proximity. How many of you know that near most often becomes here? Yeah. It'll rub off on you. I have seen it happen to so many people. Good pastor friends of mine. They're just in this power of proximity moments and they're not really thinking that much about it, but I found that near becomes here. So the question today is, who are you near? What are you near? If you're married and you're flirting at work a little bit with the opposite sex, be careful. You're near. You're near. Oh, pastor, it's just fun. It's just, it's just office hilarity. It's, it's just stuff we banter back and forth. There's nothing to it. Yeah, I've heard that many times before. 
The power of proximity also could be in your workplace. All of a sudden, they begin to ask you to do something just a eh, It's not against the law. It's just a little bit unethical. But everybody's doing it. Well, we talked about that, didn't we? Everybody's doing it. Yeah, everybody bowed on the plane of pain to Neb's statue, but those three didn't. Business dealings, sometimes we get into politics and we get in the wrong group and, and we're just getting too near, too near, too near. And near will become here if we're not careful. Look at verse number 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot has gone from keeping company with Abraham to hanging out on the plain to looking near the city, pitching his tent toward it, but it's a city that is sinning greatly and very wicked. Yeah. If you read the story, I hope you do, they were very tolerant in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, I talked about those words last week. Tolerance in our society today has been changed in the definition. In our society today, if we, have, if we are tolerant as a church people, then we are not only uh, accepting, but we are also approving. So tolerance has changed nowadays to where if you're tolerant, you're not only accepting, but you're approving. And they were accepting and approving lifestyles that were against God's law. They were accepting the lifestyle of lesbianism, homosexuality, fornication, adultery. It doesn't matter. They're accepting it. They're just like everybody's included. And the city was sinning greatly and very, very wicked. The Bible tells us. I think we need to hear things today because as you leave out of here, you're going to be in the power of proximity with everybody else in the world. But the Bible tells us that God has created sex for man and woman for man and a woman and only one of each and in the boundaries of marriage. All other sex, I don't care if it's my kids, your kids, it has a penalty with it. It has a penalty with it. And so we again are bombarded by our nation's values of tolerance and saying, hey, the church has to accept and approve. No, we don't. We accept everybody in this church. We love every person that's going to walk through this door because God loves them and he's commanded us to love each other. But we hate sin. We have to say, no, I'm not going to approve and accept. I love you, but I've got convictions. And this city did not have any convictions. These people were sinning greatly and Lot is near. Near. You see, God is very merciful and God is very patient. That is a wonderful characteristic of God. How many of you love that characteristic of God? Mercy and patience. But he's also just. He will judge all of our actions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. God will be our judge. Defining decisions. You see, Abraham had a practice of everywhere he went, he built altars. He built altars. He built altars not to Baal and Asherah, but he built altars to God. And the altar was there as a place for Abraham to go and to worship God. It was a place for Abraham to go and to sacrifice to God. 
Because he understood that all of his success in his business dealings, God was blessing him. So he made sure to give God all the glory. So he worshiped and he sacrificed there. And he had encounters with God there that helped him make defining decisions in his life. Lot also built boards. He had other men surround him. He was accountable to other people. So that whenever he would get near to something, these men would come along and say, Abraham, you're getting a little near. You need to step back. Be careful how close you're getting. And so these men would help keep him going in the right direction, thinking the right things, living the right way, and challenge him to get closer to God. I talked about it last Wednesday night. The enemy has a scheme, a strategy of isolation. And Lot is now isolated from Abraham. He's over here. He, he, he knows Jehovah God, but everybody else is sinning greatly and they're very wicked. And, and so he's isolated and he does not build altars. He does not have a board around him to say, hey, watch out, be careful. You're starting to drop down your guard. You're, you're starting to change your opinion. Your convictions are now opinions and they're starting to change. Lot did not have that. And I want to tell you today, church, we have got to make sure we stay in the presence of God. You've got to make sure that Sunday morning is not the only time you eat your spiritual work. You've got to get in the presence of God every day because it's in that presence that he will help you with defining decisions. I mean, pray about it. Get on your knees. Call out to God because that place where you find that time with God is a place that also reminds me that God has saved me and he paid all the debt for my sins. He washed me white as snow and I keep things in the right perspective. I stay humble and I stay understanding and thankful because this is the place where I go and I remember the cross and I remember the price. And so I don't take decisions lightly because of this place called an altar in my life. And you need those places in your life. It could be driving in your car, every day to work, back and forth, I don't know. It could be somewhere in your house, you find a quiet spot, if you find one of those, let me know. Wherever it is in your life, you need to make sure you have an altar, and you need to make sure you have people in your life that keep you in the right direction. That will help you if you start getting too near if you start getting a little bit too close, because if not, it will affect you. Isolation. Look at verse number 13. The people of Sodom were wicked and sinning very greatly against the Lord. God is a balanced God. He's very much a merciful and patient God, and he's also a judge. A judge. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He took on the status of a slave. It says this, If you've forgotten anything out of, out of all the following of Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, <laughs> if you care, then do me a favor. How many of you qualify as one of those things? Uh, you could raise your hand. Well, I, I, I'm, I care. I have a heart. Then do this favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. 
Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You see, we've got to be balanced too. It's not just about us. We've got to start putting ourselves aside and put other people in front of us, love people, care for people. Don't push your... I've seen people pushing their way around in church. Don't do that. Don't push your way around it. Be sweet. Be a friend, a deep spiritual friend to somebody. How many of us all need friends like that? We need friends like that, right? That'll have our best interest at heart and not theirs. Not theirs. And you see, Abraham was that friend a lot. The power of proximity. I've got, a, I've got somebody I need to help me out for just a minute. Uh, Mr. Corey Benton, are you here? There you are. Come on up a little bit. Mr. Corey Benton, how tall are you, sir? Six foot six. Man. Some of you have to stand on a step stool to get there. Six foot six. And what I've noticed in the last year or two about Mr. Corey is that he's gotten a flat belly on him. Yeah, ripped. He's been working out, right? Under here's guns. He got 50 caliber, I got BBs. BB gun right. Go ahead and stand up on that stool. Let me help you out there a little bit. All right. Yeah. So Mr. Corey here is good character. He's a good person. He loves God with all of his heart. And, and he comes to church and, and he loves all of you and, and he's got a job to go to. And when he leaves here, he gets in that proximity with other people and he's got to make sure. And so what, what happens is he finds somebody who really needs God. Now watch this. Be careful. Who really needs God. He goes, I'm going to come into their life and I'm going to bring them up to my level. So pick me up, buddy. Come on. Come on, pick me up. Come on. Come on. Uh, oh, hey, hey. I'm not 6'6", six, six, I'm 6'1". I'm not going to ask you what you weigh. But if I didn't have this sling on today, you'd see I have a flat belly too. No. He's a strong dude. But he couldn't get me up to his level. Guess what? I'm not as strong as him, not as big as him. But you know what I can do? I can pull him down real easy. I've seen a lot of Christians get into a relationship with others that don't know God. I'm talking about close relationships, new relationships. And, and I'll, I'll say something to them. I'll say, be careful, be careful. And they'll go, oh no, pastor. I, I'm going to bring them up. I, I, I'm going to influence them and change their lives. Because pastor, don't we need to reach the world? Yes, we need to reach the world. But when we get into that power of proximity, we better be careful ourselves. I have seen too many church people pulling, getting pulled down. They're up here trying to be high and mighty and that, that person just yanks them just, and they fall. And all, all of a sudden, the very thing they were trying to lift that person who needs God up, all of a sudden, the person that doesn't know God pulls them down into their lifestyle of sin. Pulls them down to where they're no longer going to church. They're no longer reading their Bible. All of a sudden, their mindset begins to change. They start thinking differently. What happened? The power of proximity. Look what uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Do not be misled, PCA. Bad company corrupts good character. You've got to understand this. Lot was near. Near. I've been talking about getting fired up. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were fired up. 
They were fired up with lust and passion. Doesn't Paul tell us in the New Testament that if it's possible, don't get married because you can spend your whole life devoted to God because a marriage will take away some time. You could be doing something for God. But he says if you're burning with passion, it is better to get married than it is to burn in that passion as a single person. Sodom and Gomorrah, they were on fire. And when you have that kind of wickedness and great sinning, you know what God does? God plays wipeout. How many of you old enough to know what that is? Wipeout! God looks at Sodom and Gomorrah and goes, wait a minute, you guys are sinning greatly. You're very wicked. I'm fixing to play wipeout on you. Yeah. Wipeout. But here's the wonderful news. There's always a balance. Every time God says, I'm going to play wipeout, God provides a way out. Come on. How many of you found a way out? Because if you didn't find a way out, God was going to wipe out your life. I've seen him do it. It's not a pretty thing. Not a pretty thing. I mean, look at Noah. What did God do? He said, I'm going to wipe this place clean. But Noah, I'm going to save you and your family and anybody who will listen to you. I'm letting you build an ark. I'm telling you years in advance, get ready. Get everybody around you ready. And how many of you know most everybody laughed at him? That old dude is out of his mind. Flood, it hasn't even rained ever. Now, what about this running prophet who got swallowed up by a great fish. God was about to play wipe out with Nineveh. I'm going to wipe them out, but I got this preacher. I'm going to send in there first to see if I can provide a way out. So Jonah doesn't want to go because they were sinning greatly and very wicked. <laughs> I talked about it last Sunday that they, they were preaching stuff and the people said nothing. You remember that with Elijah? People said nothing. He didn't want to go. I don't want to go to that church. He jumps off board. The great fish swallows him up. He's in there for three days. Uh, that's just nasty. I mean, fish, acid, stomach juice just eating away at your skin for three days. And, and finally he repents. And the great fish picks him up on the beach. <laughs> He doesn't have a change in the clothes. I don't, I don't know what happened. But he, he, he finds a way to get to Nineveh, right? I mean, he's running. Yeah. I'll do whatever. Nineveh, where are you? I'm finding you now. I don't have a GPS. I don't have cell phones or anything. But I'm finding Nineveh. And when he gets there, guess what? He's not standing there going, people of Nineveh, if uh, the Lord sent me to tell you that, he's going to play wipeout. No. This guy's fired up, man. He gets to Nineveh. He starts preaching about getting repented and, and turning away from your sins. And he was such a powerful preacher anointed by the Holy Spirit that the entire city repented. And God goes, I'm not going to do what out. I'm going to give a way out. And man, they received God's precious grace and mercy. God always provides a way out. 
But if we don't take it, He will wipe out because He is just. Yes. Just. And so now we've got Lot. Saw the plane. Pitched his tents toward. Now he's near. And God and Abraham have a conversation. And Abraham goes, God, if I, if I can just find ten righteous people in this whole city, would you spare the city? And God goes, yes. I mean, he kept reducing that number. But ten righteous people could not be found. So God goes, I'm doing wipeout. But I'm going to provide a way out. So he sends angels. Don't you love how much God loves us? And this is Old Testament. This is the law. This is not New Testament. God sends angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Watch this. Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was, say it, sitting in the gateway. What? Sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So he still has enough spiritual knowledge to reverence these angels and bow down. But where was Lot? He is now sitting in the gateway to the city. He is now, most theologians would say, he is now the mayor of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he's a big time player, got lots of moolah, and anybody got a lot of money, you're going to find a good way to be in politics, right? Yeah, you can buy your way into all kind of positions. That's what he did. He's now the mayor of the city, welcoming people to the town, sitting in the gateway. Welcome to Sodom and Gomorrah. So not only did he see the plane, not only did he look at the cities from afar, he is now all up in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not only there, but he's approving of everything going on. The power of proximity. If you had talked with him two years before that, he would tell you, there is no way I serve Jehovah God. I worship with Abraham. There is absolutely no way, he would say, in two years I'll be sitting in the gateway of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not going to happen to me. I'm too strong. I've got convictions. Yeah. Sitting in the gateway, these two men come. They say, hey, we're going to spend the night in the city square. But Lot, listen, when the sun begins to rise in the dawn, God is going to wipe out this place. Yeah. And because there was so much sin, wickedness in this town, Lot tells them, you cannot stay in the city square tonight because if you do, you will be sexually molested. Read the book. So he invites them to his house so he can protect them. So Lot invites these two angels into his house and they eat and they're having a, a good fellowship time around the table when all of a sudden they see torches outside the window and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know the number. But all the men of Sodom and Gomorrah surrounded his house. If you get isolated, the enemy will surround you. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy you. And these men started calling for Lot to send out the two angels so that they could have sex with them. Yeah. Here's what Lot does that's even more messed up. He 
he goes outside, shuts the door behind him, talking to me. He says, men of Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not send these two men out for you. But I have daughters who have never been with a man that I will send my daughters out and you can have sex with them any way you want to. But I will not send the men out. How messed up is this? And I love that God puts this in the Bible for us. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, once said, if God does not quickly judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And that was a few decades ago. How far have we come since then in the near? Well, guess what? It's here. Yeah. It's here. That is messed up. We go to Florida a couple of times a year. We, we love the beach. We love everything there. And from... Uh, March until November, it is called turtle nesting season. Sea turtles. These big green turtles, leatherback turtles, these things are probably this tall and probably two, three, four foot in diameter. These things live hundreds of years. And in Florida, all along the coastline of America, they are highly protected. It is a federal offense if you touch one of their nests, and every morning there's people driving up and down on four-wheelers over the beach, and they're seeing if there's any new nest that happened overnight, because they'll come in at night, lay their eggs, cover them up, and then go back out before it gets dawn. And they'll come along and they'll GPS them and mark out the spot with big orange tape and do not touch, do not get close, you will be thrown into prison. And then when the little babies hatch out, they usually hatch out at night, and it's usually during like a full moon, so they, the moon draws them to the ocean because they get drawn by the light. So they, they tell us for, for those months, when it gets dark, you've got to close all your blinds before you turn the lights on because if a turtle wants to be born, it'll come toward you instead of going toward the ocean. Highly, highly protected. We were there one day and they, they, these turtles were out on the beach and there were, there were all kind of seagulls down there and they were pecking at these little turtles and, and, we, and they're trying to get to the water but the seagulls are, are trying to kill them and eat them. And so there's some people there and we, we formed a big circle so nobody could see it but Miss Sandy committed a federal offense. <laughs> I didn't do it. I was just near. She picked up those little, they're cute as they can be, about that big around. She picks them up and, and then everybody starts putting them in the water. Yeah, they're highly protected, which they should be. But just a few miles down the road is an abortion clinic. Oh, we'll send people to federal prison if you touch a turtle. But we'll kill our kids. How far have we come? How messed up is that logic? And we're going, yes, this is, this is fine. So we accept and approve. How that we put value on all the wrong things. We value homes and cars and, and, and politics and we, we value money and all these things more than we value a relationship with God. And so sometimes we'll hold on to friends that are going to pull us down because we just don't want to hurt their feelings. Listen, I'll hurt anybody's feelings if I can still go to heaven. I don't want anybody pulling me down to hell. I want my friends to come to know the Lord, but I cannot party with them. 
They're going to pull me down. I can't, I can't go into their joking because I can't tell those kind of jokes because I have convictions. I can't do unethical business practices. I can't do this or that. Why? Because the word of God says do not do it. And now we have valued the, the things that are against God in our nation, in our churches. And I got to tell you, God's going to play wipe out if we're not careful. Yeah, wipe out. Wipe out. Here's what it said in verse 2. My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early the next morning. No, they answer, we'll spend the night in the square. Yeah. Lot invited him to his house, but the men came. The wages of sin is death. Can't change that. It's just what it is. And if we sin and if we are wicked, we're going to receive death because God is just. But look at this. The angel said that when it was dawn that God's going to destroy the city. Verse number 16. It's the next morning. The sun's about to come up. When he hesitated. With all of this, Lot still hesitates. The angels are going, we got to get out of here. Let's go, let's go, let's go. The night before, Lot had gotten some of his future son-in-laws together and said, guys, I want you to leave out town with us. God's going to destroy the city anymore. Wipe out. And they just laughed at him. <laughs> yeah, they laughed at him. Have you ever had anybody laugh at you for your convictions? I have. I've had them make fun of me. That's okay. God's word is true. So they didn't get to go. But Lot and his wife and his daughter stuff, he... They, the angels had to grab his hand and start to pull him because he hesitated. I, I can understand. That's a natural reaction, isn't it? I mean, they have all of their life right there in Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife had fixed their homes up, got all the ship left, painted it, a great little farmhouse look with the mansion there. Got it all just, their daughters grew up there. They got a lot of, a lot of friends in the city. They got a lot of acquaintances. They got a lot of ties. I can understand why naturally, I mean, ladies, what would happen if somebody, what if I came to your house tonight and said, in the morning, you're going to Houston, Texas? What? Well, I got to get some things together. Don't have time. Your family, you got time to try to get them together, but that's it. What about all my jewelry? What about all my pictures? And what about all my, my money and my vaults? And all? No, we don't have time for all that because God's about to play wipeout. I'm, put yourself in Lot's wife's place. I mean, she just, everything, women nest, and she had made a wonderful nest there. Wonderful home for her and her family and all the possessions, all the little things, the little knickknacks and all the, oh, remember when we went there a lot with the kids on vacation? It's all in there. And she's told to leave. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands in the hand of his wife and the two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was what? Merciful to them. Merciful. In the Old Testament, God is exhibiting mercy because He is just. He is very merciful and very patient. But there comes a time that He is just. 
What did he tell them to do? He said, I want you to sever this situation swiftly. Genesis 19, 26, one of the saddest verses in the Bible for me. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So now Lot has lost all of his business, all of his millions. and uh, I mean, some people counted up almost a billion dollar industry he was running there. He lost his future son-in-laws. He's leaving with nothing. And then his wife, I believe, does a very natural thing. I, I don't blame her. She does a very natural reaction and she, look, she just looks back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Because God said, don't look you see, it's not a matter of what she's going to see. It's a matter of obedience. And there's a lot of things that God says in his words that we can sit here and argue with him all day about it. And we can sit here and go, but why? And God's just going to say like most fathers will say, because I said so. Yeah. Obey. Obey me. Be obedient. If not, there'll be sacrifices that'll come in your life. Yeah. She turned and was turned into a pillar of salt. And uh, most geological theologians today will say where she turned into a pillar of salt is now where the Dead Sea is located. I know the Dead Sea is full of nothing but salt. It is so full of salt that you cannot go underwater, dive down. It pushes you back up. I believe God was so just so angry with Sodom and Gomorrah that not only did he turn her into salt for looking back but he said I'm going to cover this place up and make it where nobody can ever go down and look at it. It's that repulsive to God. Yeah. You see today God wants obedience. God wants us to have convictions. It'll cause conflict. I mean there was conflict in Lot's own family. His son-in-law just laughed at him. Right. I think your dad's lost a looney toony thing here girls. Maybe he's getting a little too old for this. Or, or maybe he just doesn't understand our culture today. Yeah, he understood, but he also understood the word of God. He remembered enough worshiping with Abraham. Wait a minute, these men are from God. These men are from God. Defining decisions determine direction and destination. Every time God plays wipeout, God provides a way out. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. So all of your temptations, all of my temptations, everybody has them. Every one of you have temptations that are sexual in nature. Everybody does. Everybody has temptations that are money oriented. Everybody does. Everybody has temptations about telling the truth or telling a lie. We all have the same temptations. It's what defining decisions in those moments do we make. And God is faithful. Whew. Thank you, Father, for those four words. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also what? Provide a way out. Hallelujah. So that you can endure it. That word in the Greek there, provide a way out, is, the, is a very visual picture of a box canyon. You have the illusion of you've got one way in and one way out. Telluride, Colorado is the perfect example of this. 
Because there's one main road in there and it goes to the end of the, the canyon there. The mountains are there, Rocky Mountains. And there's a waterfall there. There's a house in the middle of the waterfall called Bridalville Falls. And you think, this is the end of the road. But there's a way out. It's called Black Bear Pass. And if you have the right kind of vehicle, and if you take your time, and if you obey laws of gravity, you can get a way out of there. But every year people get killed on Black Bear Pass because they really don't understand how serious this is. I should have gotten some pictures to put up today of Black Bear Pass, but you can go online and look at it. It's the most deadly pass in America. It was cut in for wagons to get over the mountains and for mines that are located up there on the top of the mountain. But there's a way out. But when you look at it, you don't see it. You don't grasp it. You don't even know it's there. And if you've never been over the pass, you won't ever see it. So most people think, oh, this is a dead end. There's no way out. And sometimes people like you and me, we get into situations, we've gotten close, the power of proximity, we go, but pastor, I, I don't, I can't get out of this. Yes, you can. I don't care what it is. God will provide a way out every time. You have to be willing to take that way out. Now, I got to tell you, you're not going to do that in a Buick. I tell you right. You're not going to do it in one of your little electric Prius or whatever cars you got. You're going to need a substantial four-wheel drive vehicle. It's going to be rough. It's scary. There's places where there's several hundred feet of drop-off and it's about that far outside of your tire. Yeah. But it's a way out. Every time God plays wipeout, he provides a way out. So as men and women of God today, what are you near to? Are you near to God? Are you flirting with the world? Some of their standards, theologies, opinions? Is there a situation at your workplace? Is the enemy trying to destroy your, your wife and your, your relationship, your husband and your relationship? You've let just space get in between us. You've said some things. You've done some things. Listen, there's a, there's a way to get that back together. God trying to destroy your children. Hey, listen, get on your knees and cry out to God. He will hear your cries. Maybe here today, you was trying to pull somebody up and they pulled you down. There's a way out. There's only one way out. It's Jesus Christ. And I'm challenging you today, be careful of the power of proximity. Do you know why I married Miss Sandy? First of all, she's beautiful. Second of all, if there's no proximity, I would have never known her. We came near to each other. We started hanging out together and go, hey, I like you. Like turned into love. It went from looking at the plain of Jordan, oh, that's pretty, to all of a sudden getting a little closer. Then we got married, we got a little closer. Yeah, proximity. We've got to be careful who we're near and what we're near. 
You can be fired up for God. But if you're not careful, the enemy will yank you down. Be careful. You say, Pastor, this is not a very good message today. I love it. You know why? He showed me the way out. Message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.